Well, welcome to the show. It is the Midweek Media Watch 2023 Awards and in the studio in Auckland, Hayden Donnell. Hi, Hayden. Oh, kia ora, Mark. So, such an honour to be here for these prestigious awards. They're gaining traction, these awards. There's no doubt about it. There is a lot, lot of talk on the street um, about the, well, the prestige that, that, that runs alongside it. And, of course, part of the reason for that is the wonderful wits and the great wisdom, one would suggest. Not everybody, but one would suggest, of Colin Peacock, who is online from Wellington. Good evening, Colin. Kia ora, Mark, and thanks to all the other members of the Academy who are probably uh, <laughs> crowded around in the studio with you just to see if how their picks have gone down and, uh, you know, how, how this, uh, I guess, they're waiting for the dinner and, the you know, the salmon snacks and all that sort of thing beforehand. And I was wondering about the gift bag. Is, is there something arriving for me soon that, you know? Um... Oh, there'll be a fruit basket, you know, with a bit of lightly chilled mango and a couple of um, semi-legal Cuban cigars, something like that. You mean we that should that start with an award for media misinformation for that line about Colin's wit <laughs> and wisdom. I was going to say, I've seen the fruit basket. It's been in the fridge for about three weeks, <laughs> if it's the one I think it is. So let's get underway with the first category tonight. And who was the Master Media Manipulator of the Year? Who had the media really under their thumb in 2023? Yeah, well, I suppose, you know, the obvious one people would gravitate to is Mr Winston Peters because you know, his political resurrection and so on. But to me, it feels like the wrong choice because this doesn't feel like an achievement of 2023, but more like a continuation of a kind of political media play codependency thing that's been going on almost like a geological era, you know, playing out over so long. So I would say maybe not give this award to Mr. Peters. Um, although maybe an alternative kind of award, maybe Vox Pop of the Year or Media Critic of the Year or something, for uh, one particular guy whose name I don't even know. I think this was in Carterton uh, just before uh, the election. Um, talking to RNZ's Craig McCulloch, who'd asked about Winston Peters when it looked like he was going to hold the balance of power. And this guy uh, gave it to Craig said it was all the media's fault that it was likely Mr Peters would hold that balance of power. But it's the fourth estate gave him oxygen. You guys are the pricks that gave him oxygen. So <laughs> you f*** it up. <laughs> you don't think, you did. That, you don't think it was maybe a, a mistake by National to open no, the No, you, you're the first ones that gave him, asked in the polls whether to vote for him or not. It's the fourth estate that f***ed it up. <laughs> I bet you don't play much of this, mate. This is great radio right here. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Critic of the year, maybe? I reckon. Fairly astute. But if not Winston Peters, then who would it be? Apart from that guy, who would it be? Well, maybe, uh, I guess, as a media master manipulator of the year, Wayne Brown, maybe. Like, he fought the media and won the mayoralty. Um the year before, uh, look, during that mayoral campaign, remember, he antagonised the media so much. There was, for example, uh, the Simon Wilson, uh, the Herald journalist, that uh, hot mic incident with Wayne Brown during the mayoral campaign at News Hub. That prick Simon Wilson dug it out. You know, and I mean, he's been at me for all year long. And the first thing I do when I get to be the mayor, I'll be, they'll be gluing little pictures of him on all the urinals so everyone can pee on him. <laughs> 
So that was last year, not, it was 2022, but then this year, the Auckland floods, right at the start of the year, anniversary floods, when uh, uh, he, he sent a message to Today FM saying he'd be playing tennis, wouldn't be doing any interviews, that before it was looking serious, then the rain started to fall, he called the media drongos, he wound them up, so you'd be expecting, having won the mayoralty, that he might accommodate the media a bit better but he continued turning down interviews after that and when the Auckland anniversary floods official report you know former um, former police chief Mike Bush did the investigation the uh, the verdict on the communications was damning but Wayne Brown didn't even turn up to the press conference to face the music so maybe by keeping the media alarms linked the way they did so persistently he deserves that award I'm not sure well he might deserve that award for turning things around because things have gotten a lot better for him recently. He, it's, it's, a, it's a classic redemption tale, right? Isn't, isn't your point that, you know, he had such a bad start and then he turned it around, Colin? Is that what you're trying to say? Or? Well, he seemed to keep the media at arm's length. Everyone was saying, this guy just hates the media. But then recently, you, you wrote about him for Metro, didn't you? You met him, sat down, talked to him, and you seem to think he'd, um, you know, turned a corner. So maybe he has accommodated the media and is not uh, the one who is completely controlling them in the way we might well, have. Well, are you trying to say here, Colin, that perhaps I'm being manipulated by Wayne Brown, that I've fallen under the influence of Big Brown. Uh, no, not at all. You were face to face with the man. You uh, you live in Auckland City, the super city. So I beg your pardon. So you would know if uh, you know he's not actually got the media under his thumb like he seemed to do, or keep them at arm's length. One of the two, I suppose. You can't keep something under your thumb if you're at arm's length. But you know what I mean. And uh, maybe he's actually fallen into line like other political leaders and, and actually had to accommodate them. So from a aggressive, like, I don't care if you exist or not posture, now he's more like any other politician that accommodates the media and is nice and engaging and communicates. Has he possibly mended fences? Has he, dare I say it, gone woke even? That's what the front page of the <laughs> the Metro magazine that I wrote for suggested. And look, I think Wayne Brown probably wasn't actually doing well at the start of the year when he had a mass, a, a torrent of terrible media coverage towards him. And is it, is it manipulation that he's actually get, got the media on side a little bit more? It's not just sort of my Metro article about him, you know, Simon Wilson, others have been a bit more sympathetic to him. I'm not sure it's manipulation, though. Mm. For one thing, he has actually changed his views on a bunch of stuff. Like surface level light rail, for instance, is a lot more, he's a supporter of that. It's a lot more of a progressive policy than maybe some people gave him credit for. Uh, he He was sort of, I guess dropped a bit of the cynicism when it comes to the media and found that actually people are kind of willing to give him a fair hearing. And maybe that's because he truly plumbed rock bottom in terms of his perception at the start of the year with her, the, the floods and his response to the floods. And it, he's, he's relatively new to the job. It's a redemption well. so, story. Yeah, so he's, he's learning uh, how the whole system works from being kind of outside it, I guess. He had nowhere to go but up. It's, <laughs> if you lower people's expectations, sometimes you'll surprise them and they'll give you credit for just acting like a normal mayor. So if not Brown and not Peters, not the guy in Masterton or wherever, uh, who did have the measure of the media in 2023? Well, I have a third nominee, uh, Mark, if, if I may. Um, in New Zealand, so not a person but a company. Mm. So at a time when, you know, the COVID-era bailouts, uh, they were accused of unnecessary layoffs, price gouging during the year, all those cancellations, you know, should be facing really tough questions. But they were getting wall-to-wall coverage from the media for their sort of fun stuff, like their in-flight snack competition. And so, for example, in Checkpoint, on Checkpoint back in April, Chief Executive Greg Foran was getting questions like this. 
What's the upper limit for lollies from the basket? I think three is fair. Who's in charge of the window shade? The person sitting next to the window, they get rights. Exclusively, you reckon, Greg, controversial. <laughs> Shouldn't have been the controversy they were really talking about with Air New Zealand. Now, Hayden, you accept Air New Zealand as a media spinmeister of 2023? Yeah, I have to agree with this one. And I the, the coverage of the window seat and the lollies was really nothing. That, that, that paled in comparison to the coverage of their competition, I think it is, to design a new uniform. That's <laughs> the first thought. That's very interesting. That's a very interesting design. We are... Uh, yeah, we, we could take these on board, take your input on board. In New Zealand's crossing fingers, the designers across the country don't drop the ball on the design opportunity of a lifetime. Design opportunity of a lifetime. Now, <laughs> this is all a bit different to Australia, right? We're bashing their national airline as almost, almost the national sport. It's sort of cricket and Aussie rules and league and then that. And in contrast, we're positively sunny about our carrier. Only, the only real controversy that I can remember that they've faced is when they had that horrible rat creature, Rico, is a foul-mouthed uh, rat. Do you remember him? He was foul-mouthed and he was killed off, actually, in 2011 amid widespread ridicule. That was, that was oh, the, the in-flight in videos. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Rico. I, I, I mentioned this in May. Domestic airfares have increased 53.7%, I think, in, around that time. International fares are up as well. People paying more to get around the country. And yet we have them getting coverage for lollies and uniform yeah. competitions. Yeah. I think they've, they've got to be the media manipulator of the year. They do a bit better than New Zealand Rail. Oh, yeah, Kiwi Rail. Kiwi Rail's the opposite. They can't. The people that run our rail, like our trains, they can't get a good headline if they try. In New Zealand, you won't run a plane, though. It's completely different. Now, surprisingly, uh, refreshingly, spin free political response of the year is our second category. Yeah, this is a shorter one. I think we've we've got the same nominee here. Uh, But I like this from Kieran McAnulty. This is, uh, he was asked back in mid January, seems ages ago now, but if he saw. Jacinda Ardern's resignation coming. Oh, shit. You know, I, was, I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, so he didn't take a step back. Well, what am I going to say here that'll play well? He just sort of, no idea. I like that. I very, I very much like that. Well, I hate to agree with Colin yet again, but I think he was a pretty plain-spoken political communicator. Here's another one of his lines. Here's the guts of it. Up to $180 billion local councils need to find, and they can't do it by themselves because councils are individually either at their debt cap or, if they're not, their communities can't afford to pay any higher rates. That's on three waters. That's the guts of it. Here's the guts of it. <laughs> but that didn't help him, though, did it, Hayden? He didn't get it. That was in, delivered in his backyard of Greytown, that, that quote, hailed by the Herald afterwards as Labour's secret weapon. Look, you know, he might restore the party's fortunes, but he lost his seat in the Wairarapa. Yeah, so. but it's hard to stand up to the, to the force of the blue tsunami Blue Nami, as Patrick Gower called it. Mm. And I suppose if we go looking for surprisingly or refreshingly spin-free political responses, there weren't a lot of them in election year. So, yeah, he stood out. Yeah, but now, you know, we've got some clear, plain-spoken, straight-up stuff. I appreciate it. It's refreshing to hear. But what if it really works and then plain speaking becomes its own kind of spin to generate positive media coverage and then get Media Watch coveted end-of-year <laughs> awards and then, we'll, then, then 
Is it becoming all meta, where it turns in on itself, and that's just spin again? Yeah, if they all start doing it, then we'll have to condemn it. Oh my yeah, God. exactly, well, I, we will. I, I haven't thought this through. What, yeah. have, we, what well, have we done? Well, that's they, the, that's they the start gut. telling us the truth, then the truth will become a lie. That's the guts of it. Now, uh, category number three is uh, the cliche of the year, the most overused phrase. This will be good. Well, yeah, or concept even. The, the election period threw up a whole load of these, and one in particular was something I thought Chris Hipkins might have wanted to throw up loads of almost literally uh, the sausage roll the media made it his signature snack during the election campaign and even traveled overseas so when uh, chris hipkins went overseas to the uk as prime minister ended up with this coming up in this horrible cringy uh, bbc politics interview word got round at home and i get a lot of sausage rolls wherever i go at, at home in new zealand at the moment but to be presented them by the king and by the prime minister of the uk uh, that's next level. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to ask this finally. Whose sausage rolls are better? Uh, now I've been I would asked make that. a strong case for the UK, obviously, but what's your view? Well, I've been asked whether the King's sausage rolls or the Prime Minister's were better, and I'm not going to get into that because <laughs> I think that would be dangerous territory for me. But, uh, I, look, I, I, it, it depends. You, you know, there's a lot that goes into a good sausage roll. You've got to get the right mix of meat and pastry. Yeah, pathetic, I think, pathetic. Well, by the New time Zealand's the BBC broadcast that, you know, I think they were unaware that we here and Hipkins himself was quite literally fed up with the sausage rolls and that cheesy line about the balance of meat and pastry. But even on the night of Hipkins' defeat in the election, this chastening defeat, signature moment early on in the election night campaign, the spouse of his conqueror, Amanda Luxon, uh, was serving up sausage rolls to the media. <laughs> um, did you roll the pastry yourself, Amanda? <laughs> I'm not that talented, I'm afraid. <laughs> And I don't think it's really that hard, but I think that was a that was a great piece of I think that's does that qualify as um sausage trolling by Amanda Luxon, maybe? Oh my god. So is the sausage roll the cliche of the year then? Is that what we're going for? I reckon uh, it's actually not the sausage roll. I reckon it's uh, this also from the election campaign. Tova, you interviewed both Chris Luxon and Chris Hipkins. <laughs> and we called it a Chris off. Yeah. Mm. Two Chrises, if that's what we're calling it. How did they go? Chris V. Chris, who's coming out on top so far? Oh, definitely. It's the Prime Minister. Prime Minister. Chris Hipkins and Chris Luxon. Chris V. Chris, um, we've seen a bit of a bump in the polls. Time we just use their nicknames and say Chippy and Luxon. Ugh, yeah, Chris versus Chris versus Chris versus Chris. I had enough. I had more than enough of that. More than I had enough of sausage rolls. Fair cop, fair cop. So, Hayden, you agree with that as cliche of the year? No. <laughs> I loved that song. <laughs> and absolutely love. I'm fine. You can give me more Chris versus It's funny every time. I my, my cliche of the year, not really necessarily one invented by the media, but one that we heard in the media quite a lot, uh, ad nauseum on the campaign trail, and it is this from Chris Luxon. And what we've done, Mike, is we've really targeted the squeeze middle. Uh, the vast majority of our tax plan is actually going to benefit what I call the squeeze middle. So this whole tax uh, plan and package uh, for the squeeze middle is actually really standalone. We're going to raise revenue to actually help support the squeeze middle. No, we've got sausage rolls, they're expanding the middle, and Chris Luxon, he's squeezing the middle. I, I just, if I hear the word squeeze middle again, I'm going to squeeze my head. <laughs> In agony. But, but you don't hear it again. It's gone. It's, it was a fly-by-night election campaign thing, catchphrase. Yeah, but you don't want to squeeze middle after you're already elected, do you? That's when you're wanting to unsqueeze the middle. Mm. Yeah, so that it's gone now, but it was definitely around during the election campaign. To too, too much, too pre-packaged, too, too forced. 
Uh, the other forced political catchphrase that I actually think his opponent, Chris uh, Hipkins, got a bit embarrassed, embarrassed by was bread and butter. And <laughs> yeah. he used bread and butter a lot. It was in the press releases uh, at the beginning of his time as prime minister. And at the time, we thought it was a metaphor signaling that Labour would be getting back to basics and narrowing its focus on onto people's everyday concerns. But as it turned out, it actually just meant that Labour would be focusing on the price of food. Yeah. Not, not necessarily bread and butter, but the price of bananas and broccoli. Well, this is Mark's choice, isn't it? So is it <laughs> is it bread and butter? Is it sausage rolls? Is it squeeze is it, middle? Is it squeeze middle or is it Chris versus Chris? Well, I think um, I, I think with Chris Hipson's there, the bread and butter, if he puts oh. a sausage in the middle of the bread and butter, then he's kind of got a sausage roll. I'm going for the sausage roll because I got utterly tired and sick of it. I thought it was ridiculous. Everywhere he went, he was fed them and and given them and asked about them, you know, over, over. Well, the only person more sick of sausage rolls than Chris Hipkins? That's right. That's Mark Leishman. <laughs> and it was the media that did it. The media made that rather than the squeeze middle. The media made the sausage rolls. So yeah. good call, Mark. Yep, thank you. Well, I, I thought they were all good, actually. I think the squeeze middle has uh, validity as well. Now we've got uh, category number four, and uh, this is the overreaction of the year. <laughs> yeah, I've gone a bit obscure for this one. Last year, the founders of 42 Below, Justine and Jeff Ross, now the owners of Lake Hawea Station, they were appeared on Country Calendar because they've they've got a carbon-positive, high animal welfare value farm. And there was a profile of that on Country Calendar, and they were subject to a vitriolic backlash after some of the scenes in the programme hit the TV screens. As we move into a different model where compassion for the animals is at the centre of everything we do, then it's more about gentle music that makes the environment feel more calm. <laughs> So a bit of a Valdi in the shearing sheds, you think, to calm the animals. Pretty harmless. They were called Instagram farmers, woke farmers, all of that. And now that was last year, but they revealed in a book that came out, uh, I think in October, that they had to call in the cops following threats that they had over that, uh, including death threats against their family. So when they appeared, Jeff and Justine Ross appeared on Afternoons with Jesse Mulligan on RNZ National just last month, Justine Ross totally underplayed that when Jessie Mulligan asked her about that. Guys, are you glad you did the Country Calendar episode? <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know, in a way it gave us, um, it, you know, our climate advocacy, um, our belief in regenerative ab- um, agriculture and soil. It gave all of the things that um, we believe in, the idea of monetizing um, best practice around the climate. It gave all of that a very hearty hearing. So I think, you know, hearty hearing is a bit like Jacinda Ardern coming out and saying to the occupation of Parliament, you know, the signs that hang Jacinda. So I think I got a hearty hearing yeah. there. I think I think it's extraordinary the death threats just because they played some nice music to sheep on Country yeah. Calendar. Those, those people sending death threats, they haven't had enough Vivaldi in their, <laughs> in, their yeah. in their milking station. I think at the end of the day, though, Justine and Jeff Ross uh, have done all right because they get a, um, a great programme about their... Um, ideas on farming that they send around the world and people see what they do and that's what they're after really, isn't it? Yeah, apparently there's a bit of branding in yeah. shot and, and several of those sequences on Country Calendar so yeah. they probably knew what they were doing. It was kind of an underreaction of the year though really. <laughs> Not yeah, I think so, like an underreaction to the overreaction of the people that freaked out about um, a bit of so-called woke farming being... Um, but if we're talking about underreaction though, Mark, I reckon uh, that would have to go to 
uh, a trio of News Talk ZB morning hosts who spent a full six hours of one the morning that Cyclone Gabriel struck, telling listeners, look, this was no big deal, and you know, heavily criticising uh, particularly uh, the closure of, of schools. This is one of them. This is uh, Kate Hawksby on the morning. Did we really need to shut all the schools? I mean, I reserve the right to be wrong. If it comes in like a wrecking ball this afternoon, then, you know, they were right and maybe it was just a bit slower than we thought. But I don't know. Yeah, it might be wrong. You know, Good it might that be she the right to be I wrong. In that the right case, to be, yeah, actually. indeed. And, uh, but a lot of people did do formal complaints about that, or several. Um, six months later, the Broadcasting Stands Authority ruled. Um, that uh, dismissing official information and experts on the air during a weather emergency wasn't, in fact, a, a breach of broadcasting standards after all. But in the same crop of decisions they released that day, uh, they decided that screening uh, an aggressive scenes of dolphin mating in a primetime documentary by TVNZ, that, that was a breach of broadcasting. So, uh, you know, go figure, as some people say. Did we ever get the I was wrong statement by Kate on the following Monday or whenever? I'm not sure, but she reserved the right to be wrong. So I guess it's academic. <laughs> yeah, it end. doesn't matter. If you've reserved that right, then you don't have to they talk about it so. anymore. I'd say I agree on this one. Once again, I agree with my boss, Colin. Uh, probably some. Cody. <laughs> It's pathetic, isn't it? Uh, it wasn't just that. Kerry Wooden was taking calls from a guy in Napier who sort of said, oh, these these young people these days are closing the schools just for a bit of rain. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. This it's is gonna, Napier. Yeah, yeah it's going to happen. In Napier. We, yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then <laughs> Kerry Wooden responded out. to that by saying, if it's going to happen, I don't want to know. Oh, I totally yeah, agree I, I with you. To I mean, it was it was not exactly responsible broadcasting. I thought there was definitely an underreaction, and it was a, it was made worse by the fact that people said to us, and I'll I'll caveat this by saying RNZ's AM frequency was always always up, but some people told us that they could only get News Talk ZB. Maybe they were only trawling the FM frequencies, and that was their source of info on the cyclone, including in places where it was hitting pretty hard. So. I think the media commentator Gavin Ellis said at the time that obviously News Hub has News Hub no sorry News Hub News Talk has made some good bank out of its contrarian impulses, but it probably <laughs> needs to figure out when to put them to the side for the greater good. With great ratings, of course, comes great responsibility. Now, Hayden, you made a pretty brutal Media Watch report um, about, at the time... Uh... Yeah, th- th- I think I did make the brutal... I, I did the brutal report on it. You did, you uh, did. I mean, we went through a lot of this stuff then. I, and it may, this is why I kind of resent Colin giving it out, because well, really this would have been my award to give out, but well, he maybe, just maybe first. we should agree that it is award-worthy, but also maybe the Broadcasting Standards Authority, in deciding it wasn't a breach of standards, is gets the underreaction of the year. That's such, we that's we're going back. Like that. That's another one. Okay. So this is the Media Watch, uh, Midweek Media Watch Awards for 2023 in Category 5, Never Wrong for Long, Correction, Mia Culpa of the Year. Yeah, I'm thinking it's hard to go past RNZ's Russiagate scandal in July when you end up with more than 50-plus corrections and an in-depth inquiry made 25 or more recommendations, so pretty big. And, of course, you also know uh, you're in trouble when you're being mocked by comedian Melanie Bracewell on uh, TV3 Seven Days. I love this Russia strategy to be like, first we take New Zealand's fourth best and fourth most popular news site, (laughs) (laughs) then the world. (laughs) 
<laughs> Harsh. <laughs> but I suppose so that's a candidate. Darren <laughs> Z editing scandal, which of course is fairly serious. But um, this is much more trivial. But I also, for me, my personal choice is the press newspaper in October um, correcting a report about rebuilding Scott Base. So there's a quote in the story from Morris Williamson who said, maintaining a presence in Antarctica is of strategic importance to New Zealand. But when that appeared in the paper, the press managed to insert um, a particularly obscene variant of the F word, which I suppose was obscene to start with, uh, into the word importance. I'll just, just note right there the, the, the word it. that it inserted. It, rem- it rhymes with truckers. Yeah. Or suckers. <laughs> and, and when it was inserted in the word importance, it becomes like a very odd looking, it really stands out because it's very long in the text and your, your eye does a light on it. So the next day stuff, you know, confirmed or the press and what they called an inadvertent addition in the editing process, but didn't quite say how that word in particular, but they were happy to confirm that Mr. Williamson had in fact uh, said no such thing. And just amplifying this is when the original text when you see it in print it's kind of funny because it appears directly above a correction for a completely different story that they got wrong the next day and a kind of apology to Farmac. so um, there's that but the fact that it was so sweary I'd also want to give them the Sean Sadowski Senate trophy for inappropriate swearing in the media that was uh, last year when his daughter won a Winter Olympics gold or two of them I think he swore twice in live news interviews after he appeared to be well he appeared allegedly to be fairly refreshed as he spoke to the cameras and what's the word tired and emotional that you use for that (laughs) but he used other words the the similar version of that word you mentioned that that rhymed with truckers yeah Hmm. i think those are safe picks those are boring picks uh you you don't go along with that then i don't what's your options i think my my pick would definitely be the media watch broadcaster colin peacock (laughs) what (laughs) what just a series, an um, oh. unbelievable series of screw-ups from this guy. In late September, Peacock said the Food and Grocery Council represents retailers. It, in fact, represents suppliers <sighs> and wholesalers, often goes to battle with those retailers like supermarkets. In a Sunday show in J- July, he accidentally played uh, an intro for my interview with oh, yeah, Sideswipe writer Anna Side- Samways. He played it twice <laughs> in a row. People were very confused, and in both instances... Uh, one Hayden Donnell was forced to issue a correction on Midweek Media Watch. So that's my uh, mea culpa of the year. Okay, I suppose you could say that's responsible, but you're correcting the first available opportunity. But to me, you seem to relish pointing out what I would say were not particularly material or egregious. Uh, one was a technical error, one was a small factual error. I mean, Mark, you don't see the stuff I screen out, the stuff he gets wrong, <laughs> that I... I get before it goes that you don't. I'm just doing my job here, <laughs> Colin. There's not no room for whataboutism. Okay, right. my, okay. Well, fair enough. It's, it's not all, something you know, I relish. We, we have to be accountable. It's, yeah, I so, say. So, well, yeah. you're mea culpering right there and then. That's well, the Hayden has a particular form of accountability-based monarchy tonga that he likes to practice. Let's just say that. But can we go back, Mark? Because I think yes. this actually qualifies as the overreaction of the year, not what we're discussing. Really. <laughs> In my view. In your humble opinion. Yeah, but you can be the judge. Right. And category number six, uh, those were mistakes that were acknowledged. What about the misleading stuff where no one said anything, no one fessed up? I think there's been a few of these. It's looking increasingly likely that all of the media reporting we had recently on alleged footage of what RNZ described as Tory Fano's drunken antics in a central Wellington bar. Now, that might end up a little bit embarrassing because a lot of that reporting was based on the idea that video footage of this incident was circulating. 
But no footage has emerged. It's now been about three weeks after the first reporting on the existence of this footage, which came from the Post and RNZ, and especially Sean Plunkett, who went into some lurid and potentially defamatory detail on what the footage depicted. All of these people reported it without actually viewing it. It's now looking like the viewing it might be a little bit difficult and hampered by the fact of its non-existence. Uh, no correction yet on that one. But is one coming? I don't know. Maybe one is coming a little bit later. I, I, Might have to be a 2024 award. Yeah, exactly. This is the category. That period. could be that could be in the 2024 corrections awards. Uh, another classic. This one's not as major, but back in June, One News and Stuff recirculated a story from the Daily Mail, and it had the headline: "Research reveals what remote workers could look like in future." <laughs> and the, what they could look like in future was this kind of gro- grotesque figure called Anna, who had claw hands, swollen limbs red eyes and a hunched back which to be fair just sounds like you or I right now Mark but uh, she she wasn't looking good suffice to say uh, people, the, the media was saying this was a product of research that this was some sort of simulation drawn up by in the lab research to make Anna actually it was just invented by an office furniture company called <laughs> Furniture at Work UK absolutely out of whole cloth total scam to promote their business actually what some of the links that went into media stories ended up redirecting to their own website so that was pretty bad it was removed from the one news website but it was never corrected uh they just quietly slip it out of just out of, quietly like, slip it into the nether, nether realm rather yeah. than correct it I, I think that's a dishonorable tactic Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no further questions on this, Your Honour. Uh, I, I think that's a good case. In fact, uh, for next Sunday, for uh, the Christmas Eve final year-end edition of Media Watch, which I'm calling the Media Watch Christmas Bonus, I actually pulled out Hayden's uh, humorous report on that and a short interview uh, about the, the sort of ethics of this nature of the stuff they call research, but is really um, PR. So yeah, that's next Sunday on the Media Watch uh, Christmas Bonus, 10.15 Sunday morning, and again, 10.15 Sunday night in the run-up to Christmas. Right, our Category 7 of 9, Unruly Tourists Award. This is for Out of the Blue, Moral Media Outrage, stroke clickbait. Yeah, so previous recipients of this, the unruly tourists themselves, who could forget uh, them rampaging up and down the country. That yielded an opera uh, that came out this year and even a stuff video documentary series, which I was um, briefly uh, part of. I think it was maybe like seven or eight parts. Uh, You know, so a a lot of uh, media content generated by that. Uh, 2021, we had that Auckland couple who fled to Wanaka during the lockdown. Remember them? They were kind of public, but not quite unruly tourists volume of uh, clickbait and outrage but this year I'm picking um, not quite the same but maybe the best we could do the couple who sat next to the quotes snorting farting dog on a Singapore <laughs> Airlines flight uh, this was on the uh, Wellington ZB show the host Nick Mills uh, spoke to a guy called Warren Press who was one of the couple that uh, had this harrowing account of uh, this uh, flatulent canine and so every now and again uh, the dog would emit a smell and he'd get this card out and fan the dog and um, that was all good while he was awake but when he went to sleep we were just about gassed out <laughs> oh, sorry I'm laughing laugh. <laughs> so we're that, all that, laughing that story went well and truly global it was reported everywhere and also generated 
my tabloid headline of the year. I'm thinking, you know, the, perhaps the reporter saying, well, how, what do you do with this story? New Zealand couple, long haul, Singapore Airlines flight, flatulent cane. How do I get that in the headline? And, you know, some A sub came up with the, you know, the single column, dog, fart, jet, hell. That was the Daily Star in the UK. <laughs> All down one column, nothing more than four characters. Beautiful stuff. Now, the Daily Star also created the Liz Truss Lettuce live stream, which brings us to the media ripoff of the year. Yeah, media ripoff of the year. Yeah, so News Hub yeah. co-opted the um, the Daily Star's Liz Truss lettuce, which I think actually lasted 54 days as Prime Minister, for the Coalition Cauliflower. They live-streamed that, and it was looking a bit brown and spotty, but it was a pretty robust vegetable, which actually seemed to survive <laughs> fairly well the, the, the month or so it took to get a Coalition government. You reckon News Hub got that wrong? Inverted the form? Can yeah, I more? do. I think that News Hub got that, that wrong. Because the Liz Truss lettuce was meant to measure whether her stint at Prime Minister would outlast a lettuce. And and it was about how short her tenure was. And this cauliflower was about how long the coalition nego- negotiations were lasting. So it was a complete inversion of the form. I, it was about something that was taking too long rather than something that was taking too short. Yep. Mm, yep. Fair enough. And that's a perfectly phrased way of putting it. Yep. Well done. Off the, off the bat, just like that. Fantastic. That's why you're here, honestly. <laughs> Any other media rip-offs worthy of recognition? Well, could you say HBO shamelessly ripped off the reality of the uh-huh. Murdoch family for, for, for succession? Yeah. I didn't watch enough of it to know. but if you Well, I would. It, I would absolutely, because that's what everyone says about Oh, it's about the Murdoch family, really. You know, that's what it's about. That's, that's how, you, you know, you, you lead into it. What, did, 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 did the Passion of the Christ rip off the Bible? You know, <laughs> these are, what are you talking about? Okay, too literal. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Does Succession get the Media Watch Award for the best drama then? Well, not from me. Not from me. I reckon the but best you, drama. But you didn't watch it, though. Well, I've heard about it. I've heard enough. I've <laughs> what read about, about you, it. Hayden? You're quiet on this one. Oh, I th- it's absolutely the best drama for me, except for one. I'd say that there is one better drama, and that was The End of Today FM. Ah. Bringing in our, our Today FM news team. I don't know how much longer we're going to be on air, so everyone grab a mic. What's the deal? It sounds like it's over. We haven't been given a chance. We've been on air for just a year. We were told that we had the support of everyone, from the chief executive Mm. through to the board, through to the executive, and they have f***ed us. That doesn't happen often on the air, does it, that uh, a station melts down quite like that? No, it does not. Very rare indeed. It was actually scintillating radio. In fact, I'd offer the uh, music programmer of the year award to whoever it was that once they were taken off air and the music was faded up, uh, playing a playlist that included Hang On, Help Is On Its Way, when it clearly wasn't, <laughs> Slip Sliding Away, which was totally appropriate. So someone was trying to make a point, I think they were just had a sense of humour or yeah. or just a spectacular coincidence. Yes. And it's actually making it more of a drama of the year, the Today FM meltdown, was that months later um, they won nine... <laughs> Nine New Zealand radio awards, which is pretty good for a, a, a dead station. And I think a few at the Voyager Awards where I think you were there because you picked up one of those, Hayden, didn't you? Oh, I don't like to talk about it, Colin. <laughs> okay, well, don't then. But, <laughs> let's but, move yeah, on then. Absolutely, let's move on. I did. <laughs> so are we going to give broadcast of the year to Today FM? Don't, don't think we can, seeing as they went <laughs> off air halfway through the year. Um, it's not really fair, but I'm going to give it to Parliament TV. Oh. Uh, yeah, because 275 days a year when there's nothing on in the House, they screen just images of 
New Zealand Artworks with a relaxing soundtrack uh, pretty much around the clock. So no one yelling at you, no political pundits or critics or anything like that. So uh, perfect, perfect for 2023, I thought, and everything else that was going on. Slow TV. I I think that that says more about Colin's tenuous mental state than than actually the quality of the broadcast. The man just needs to experience some kind of nirvana after watching the media incessantly for something like 13 to 15 years. I would too. Look, it's no knock on him, but he is going a little bit off the wall. I actually have several (laughs) contenders of my own here. I have multiple nominees. Uh, number one, the election night news hub Kiwi. I don't know if you saw this, but it was a Kiwi, a VR Kiwi or AR Kiwi that they brought up, mm. and it would give birth to oh, right. winning and losing candidates. I think once in a particularly harrowing scene, it was twins. There was Shane Jones was one of the twins. It gave birth to X. Andrew Hoggard on screen. They came out of the, the first was an egg and the egg hatched and the political candidate emerged. Just a really spectacularly horrible image, but visceral broadcasting, really great stuff. Another nominee, Carl Mokoraka. He's a Vision NZ, I think, candidate, but he was the one who repeatedly gate-crashed political press conferences over the fence to gate-crash Christopher Luxon. It's fence-crashing, isn't it? To fen- be that's fen- but also, fences have gates, don't they? Let's not get too literal here. Let's not get <laughs> okay. a stickler. My goodness. I've seen some of your copy that you submit, sir. Uh, anyway, he got over the fence and went in an in another case, he uh, donned a fake moustache and infiltrated a political meeting and disrupted that as well. He was an amazing broadcaster, but he didn't have quite the charisma of the next ones. And they're, they're, they're my winners. They're not broadcasters, but they should be. And such was their impact on me that I just had to give them this award. That's the people of Huntley, who delivered a, a series of Vox Pops to stuff. Oh, not the pizza? about the prospect uh-huh. of a new drone pizza delivery system in their town. They gave some of the most spectacular quotes. I wish that they were aired. If the stuff reporter who took them, uh, recorded them, has them, then I'd love those recordings. But I'll just read out a few of them. Laurie Mack, he said that until he can get a 24-pack of Waikato dra- draft flow into his doorstep, he's not interested in the service. Joanne Lovell, she said, what if they drop the pizza in the river? What if the birds attack the pizza? Louise Rerakuda, she said, wars are being fought with drones and they have got this ability to be more than just a toy. Once you start, you can't stop. That's ominous. That's ominous. And her partner, he did not want to be named, probably for good reason, but he said if he saw one, he'd shoot it down. I've got two objections to this though, Mark. One is that the story is kind of a nonsense. Every couple of years... Domino's pizza, uh, <clears throat> other pizzas are available uh, from other fast food chains, uh, floats the story about, um, uh, excuse the pun, but floats the story about delivering pizza by drone out of Huntley. Still doesn't really happen. In fact, when I saw that you picked this, Hayden, I actually got in touch with Domino's in Huntley to see if it was possible to uh, order a pizza by drone. They didn't actually answer the phone, so I went online to see if I could order a pizza and have it delivered to uh, 76 Main Street, Huntley, which is actually Domino's own address, but there is no drone delivery option. So I think the whole story is nonsense. Don't think that's a suitable one for Broadcaster of the Year. I think the Broadcaster of the Year is Mark Leishman because he's had to put up what? with this nonsense all year. Oh, actually, I thoroughly agree with that. I'll step in. No, that, that's disgusting pandering <laughs> to the judges, which I hope Mark won't reward. And I just want to, as a rebuttal, say that it makes it even better that the people of Huntley were 
commenting on something that doesn't exist. That's what true broadcasters true broadcasters can do. Yeah. They too, can too, make they can make something out of nothing, as you know. Too loose an well, interpretation. Mark, that's what, that's I what do Mark it every Wednesday night, um, Hayden. Every Wednesday yeah. I make something. Exactly. Well, maybe you do deserve <laughs> so making something out of this nothing. <laughs> so, finally we come to category number 10 in the Media Awards for 2023, the Midweek Media Awards, and it is the Media Feud of the Year. Yeah, mm. it would be easy to give this one to Winston Peters. Again. Too easy. Too easy. He accused news organisations of taking bribes, openly admitted to going to war with the media following the election. Too easy. For me, and I don't think this is arguable, to be honest, but the most compelling media feud of the year has to be Labour MP Helen White versus News Hub's Amelia Wade. Their run-ins, there were multiple. They were must-see TV, just fraught with tension, emotional subtleties and subtext. is electric, beyond what was just happening on screen. And so this one for me in the corridors of Parliament illustrates why they were so memorable. When you lose the party vote. Well, you've seen that change over time anyway. But we've done really, really well. We've punched above our weight, and I'm really proud of my team. And you need to look at the results. Sorry, I've forgotten your name. Amelia. Amelia. Look at those results, and you'll see. If you just looked at a transcript of that exchange, right, it would almost seem quite pleasant. (laughs) But when you listen to the audio, you, you can sense this almost unprecedented level of venom, even for the very toxic environs of Parliament. Nah, there's no blows, there's no swearing like we had in our earlier clips of that bad language. (laughs) I reckon reckon that qualifies as a spat, not a feud. I think it was over too quickly. It's not over, it's still simmering, and you you just don't appreciate subtle, subtle plot lines, I think. You just want bombast. If we're talking about feud of the year, I think all year long, you seem to have been enjoying every opportunity to highlight just just petty, non-material errors I might have made in media. And ratting me out to Mark on (laughs) Midweek Media Watch. Uh, You say it's responsible broadcasting, but I I just think it's it's personal. It's a feud. It's not. It's responsible broadcasting. Okay, well, look, it has, got, the, it has gone both ways, Colin. You have uh, have fired the odd barb towards Hayden too, I think. You know, it's just, just be... neutrality, it's objectivity, it's calling balls and strikes, it's all that stuff. Okay, well, Mark, it's your last Midweek Media Watch. It You've is. had to deal with this all year long. <laughs> midweek Media each week. Um, so which which one is the best Midweek Media Watch What's your name again? to deal with? What's your name again? It's Colin, isn't it? That's what, me, yeah, down Hayden. here in Wellington. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you've got Hayden in front of you, so... Well, you set a precedent very early on in this discussion, um, Colin, um, by having a third nominee. Uh, the third nominee is, Colin, is it Hayden? Putting me on the spot big time. The third nominee is the audience. Oh, you chicken. The audience who <laughs> check in every... Chicken, not chicken. Chicken every week and enjoy your... Comments on the media and your assessment of what they've been up to. Are you saying the audience is the winner on the day? Well, this is it, like when Time Magazine gave <laughs> Person of the Year to everyone out there <laughs> in 2006. Absolutely not. Screw the audience. It's me. <laughs> I, I'm the best broadcaster. Well, that's, I'm going with the audience. There you go. No, look, I'll, I'll make it a three-way tie. Just a, you know, a nice little, little three-way tie for last. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Thank you, gentlemen. Thoroughly enjoyed my weeks uh, with you. It's been a great, a great experience. And uh, I know you put in so many hours into this each week, uh, assessing the media, and uh, you do a thoroughly good job. 
with your two programs, the Sunday morning show with Jim and, of course, midweek media watch uh, on the Wednesday night. So keep it up. Um, I would suggest one thing. Perhaps you both need some counselling. I Have appreciate that? that, Mark. I've actually really enjoyed talking to you, and that's all the counselling I need. <laughs> well, we, we, we only have to do this turn up once a fortnight for half an hour each, and that's great. And we get to talk to you alone. We don't have to deal with, quite frankly, the other guy on the end of the line, as we have had to do tonight. So um, yeah, so I think that's down, down to you. You've made it a pleasant experience. So the next guy will have to, to go some to, to match it. That's oh, what I'd say. Very kind, and I'm sure he will. He'll do a great job, Emil Donovan, stepping into the chair on the 22nd of January. And um, no doubt he'll uh, he'll be a great success. We'll see it's been matches, fun. matches up to the broadcaster of the year for Midweek Memory Watch Awards 2023, <laughs> Mark Leishman. Oh, and all of you out there. And me and yeah, them, Colin. Them too, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely.